Come on. If you've seen them, let me see. Let me see a hand. Let me see a hand. All right. Okay. Nice. Okay. So the power... What? Annie, could you come up here for a second, please? They did have the phone books, and they, they tore the phone books in two. So, Annie, I'm going to ask you if you can give it your best shot. Come on, give her some energy. No, 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 you got to do the whole thing. Do the whole things. She said no, no, she can't do it. You can do, well, okay, give, give us what you got. Okay, give us, no, stay here, we're not done. Strength and humility. So humility is knowing when you need help. So you obviously were unable to, you need help. All right, Daniel, let's help Annie. Annie, just move this way a little bit. And uh, this is when we bring power tools into the equation. So you just hold it, Annie. You and Daniel hold it. And we're going to see if we can get through the phone book with the Sawzall. Just hold that. Just hold. Yeah, you're doing a great job already. Ready? Yeah, cue the music. Hold it tight, Annie. Hold it tight. Keep holding it. Great job. Hold it. Hold it tight. We're almost there. We're almost there. Yeah. All right, Annie. Finish it. Finish it! Yeah! All right. Great job, Annie. Honestly, that was largely irrelevant, but a lot of fun, so we did it anyway. So strength and humility. Strength is to know one's identity and calling and to embrace it without apology. So as we're moving through the message today, we're actually going to be moving through a couple of the Gospels, and we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus before kind of even he begins what we consider to be his earthly ministry. That moment from like birth into the world, and then as a teenager, and then his relationship with uh, his relative John, and looking at how Jesus embodies strength and humility. And we see this in Jesus, that strength is to know his identity and calling and to embrace it without apology. And on the other side of that is this idea of humility. And humility is the willingness to acquiesce to another, to open our hands to another. And sometimes we, in humility, acquiesce to God. We open ourselves up to God and we say, God, I trust you. God, I believe that your wisdom is for me, and I'm going to open my hands to you. And sometimes, not only do we acquiesce to God, but we acquiesce to one another. Knowing our strengths, knowing our calling, knowing our identity, and at the same time, knowing what it is that we're not good at, that we're not called to, that we're not necessarily equipped to handle. And it gives us the opportunity to enter into relationships with one another by acquiescing to their strengths, inviting them into our lives and walking alongside of them through the journey of life. And we're going to see these two things, strength and humility in the life of Jesus as we move through tonight. And here's the beautiful thing that we'll see along the way is that every time we practice humility, it frees us to live in strength. I used to think that strength meant being able to do everything. 
that I was strong when there were things that I couldn't do and I came up to those things and I accomplished them. That it was this attempt at trying to move through life with the ability to do everything. But that is not strength. Strength is actually knowing our gifting and knowing our calling and having the humility to open our hands. And when we open our hands and give those things away to God and to others that we aren't good at, that we're not called to, it actually then frees us to live into our gifting and our calling. And so we see this relationship between humility and strength that when we open ourselves up and practice humility, it frees us to live into the fullness of our identity. So let's begin looking at the life of Jesus. We're gonna look at kind of five glimpses, five vignettes of his life. And we're gonna start with Jesus as the king of heaven, the king of earth, the king of all things before he even begins his life here on earth. In Colossians chapter one, it says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so we, even before Jesus comes to earth, we see this picture of him as creator and king over all things. But not only is he creator and king over all things, in verse 17 we see this, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And so he is the creator and he is the king, but he is also the glue that holds all those things together. And so when we look at these moments in Jesus' life and as we know these stories of his earthly ministry where he's standing in front of the Pharisees and the Pharisees think that they're all wise and they're all knowing and that they have everything in control, Jesus as the king is standing in their midst as the one who created them and the one who is holding all things together and this system that they think they control, the person that they're talking down to is actually the one who created those things and who holds all of those things together. This glorious one that we see Jesus in John 17, he prays this, now Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Again, this picture of Jesus, the king, the creator, the glue that holds all things together, living in the glory of God before he even came to earth and began his earthly ministry. And so what do we see this king, this glue that holds all things together doing? Philippians chapter two, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, having the same mindset of Christ Jesus. So what was that mindset? What was the mindset of the king of heaven? Being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So we see the all-powerful one, the all-strong one, choosing to come to earth and giving up that glorious existence and in humility coming to give himself away to others. 
And that is what we see as Jesus is being born. We're going to move into Luke chapter 2. Emmanuel, God with us, that divine one taking on human flesh and choosing to come to earth. And we're going to read this passage that I think probably a lot of us hear every December. It's like the famous Christian, uh, not Christian, Christmas passage, right? But I want us to look at it and look at how we see this humility of the king of heaven and coming to earth in human form as a baby. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. And so the story of Jesus coming to earth begins with the idea of Jesus being a number. The story of the king of heaven coming to earth begins with a census, and it points out to us that this king of heaven is coming as another baby. Today, 4.3 babies are born every second. That was, number was lower in Jesus' day. But Jesus is just coming as another baby with very little fanfare, without a lot of people knowing about it, as a number included in this census. I remember the first time I went to an audition. It was an audition for Disney. I was like 9 or 10 years old. And we went, and there were like 300 other little 9 or 10-year-old boys auditioning for this part. And it was literally called a cattle call. Because it was just like, all right, bring in all the cattle, we'll process these people, we'll see them sing a few bars, and then we'll all go on to the next one. And it's this idea of just like, literally, we were wearing a number on our chest, and we were referred to as a number. You hear this, you know, people talking about it in prison systems, or even in relationship to the Holocaust, like the dehumanizing nature of just being referred to as a number. And Jesus, the king of heaven, comes to earth as a little baby boy, as nothing more than one more check mark on the census that was being taken. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for him. And so we see the humility of the situation and of the circumstances that Jesus finds himself in. The clothes he was wearing, the economic reality of his family, the fact that there wasn't even a hotel room for them to stay in. In the king of heaven, again, the strong one coming into these lowly circumstances. And so I ask the question to us tonight, what excuse do you have? Jesus enters into the picture with very little for him from an economic perspective, from a cultural perspective. He wasn't of the ruling class. There wasn't even a hotel room for them to be staying in when he was to come. Yet he lived out his calling and his mission to be the Messiah, the Christ of the world. And I think we see this in the life of Jesus. In the life of Jesus, we see how a transformed mind can give us the strength 
to overcome. And all of us were born with certain realities, whether they be economic or relational or growing up in a house where our parents told us that we just couldn't do this or that. All of us have these voices and the realities that we grew up in or we were born into. And what we see in Jesus is Jesus had the strength to know who he was and what he was called to. And because of that, it gave him the strength to overcome any adversity, any humble circumstance that he was born into. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. It wasn't even that the popular people knew that he had come. It was the lowliness of the shepherd community to whom the angels appeared And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And so we see that like from an earthly standpoint, the shepherds are no one and they mean nothing in terms of like spreading the message that God has come to earth in the form of a baby. They aren't the popular people. They aren't the influential people. They are the lowly people. And so what we see in this, though, is that the angels declare this message, and it reminds us of where strength comes from. The beginning of strength is an identity-defining relationship with God, not an external who you know. Jesus didn't know people. He wasn't famous when he was born into the earth. He left the fame and the glory of heaven and came to earth as a nobody, but it was the identity-defining relationship with God that was the beginning of his strength lived out on earth. And later on in verse 21, it even kind of gives us this crazy picture of the the humanity of Jesus. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. That very clear picture that Jesus is human and flesh and blood. And so we kind of don't hear much about Jesus for the next several years, but the next glimpse that we're going to look at, the next glimpse that we have in Luke chapter 2 is Jesus going to the temple as a 12-year-old boy. And again, even in this, even as a 12-year-old, even as an awkward middle schooler, Jesus was ahead of the curve when it, knew, when it came to knowing who he was. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. And here we see this 12-year-old boy seeking his purpose, seeking his calling, the calling of his heavenly father, and in the process, abdicating human expectation, staying behind while his parents and relatives continued on to their home, thinking he was in their company. They traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. 
For my entire life, I've heard this passage talked about in the context of, oh, the wisdom of Jesus just blew people away. And I think I've always glossed over this part of the story. But when I was reading it this week, this is the thing that stood out to me. The fact that Jesus was in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And in this, we see in the life of Jesus that strength begins with the humility to listen, learn, and ask questions. It wasn't in the omniscience of Jesus, his all-knowingness, that his divinity was revealed. In fact, it was in the the willingness to listen, learn, and ask questions that we see the beginning of the strength of Jesus and the idea that curiosity, Jesus' curiosity actually opened up influence and opportunity for him to speak into the lives of the people who were there in the temple as well. Because this act of Jesus to understand actually was the beginning, was the platform for him to be understood. Understanding gives us a platform to be understood. And I think that's something that we can look at here in this passage and learn from Jesus. How often do we go into a place thinking that we are all wise, thinking that we are all knowing, trying to exhibit pride, and instead of living in humility and asking questions and seeking to understand, we walk in with something to say. But here in the life of Jesus, we see that it began with him walking in, asking, learning, in humility. Let's look at Matteo, Matteo and his relationship with his mom, Linda. They can listen to me, listen to me. Like, like I do this all the time, and if I go out at the, at the house or the door, Matteo has his toys, and then Matteo has all his toys. Okay, but I have to yell at you guys. Okay, Linda, Linda, listen, Be listen, 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 you listen, Linda, listen. Okay, what? Like Okay. Okay, then what? Then you're not listening to me. Then you're not listening to me. I asked you not to do something. Linda, but listen to me. All okay. right, it goes on for like five minutes. You can watch it later. Matteo was seeking to be understood. He did not begin by seeking to understand Linda. But what do we see in the life of Jesus? The humility to walk into this environment and listen first. He listened and he asked questions. And because of that, the very next verse, verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. We see he was sitting there. He was listening. He was asking them questions. And that opened up the door for, them, for him to actually then be able to engage in conversation. And his strength was revealed as the result of the humility that he exhibited in first listening. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? Linda, Mary, Mary, listen. Don't you know I should be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus, like, this awkward 12-year-old. Like, that was not me. I did not know that I should be about my father's business, much less what being about my father's business meant when I was a 12-year-old. Like, I remember, like, I think back on middle school, and was like, yeah, like, I remember I was in student council, and somehow I ended up there, but I never remember making a conscious choice to, to be there. 
Like there were these decisions I made as a middle schooler, but I could not justify to you today why I made those decisions. Had no idea. But Jesus, even as a 12-year-old, had the strength and confidence to know who he was and what his calling was. But it was also balanced with humility. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. The humility of the obedience of Jesus, the king of the universe, the cosmic glue that holds all things together, comes to earth, knows who he is, is living in his identity, and still has the humility to acquiesce to his earthly mother. And there's a beautiful strength in him as a 12-year-old knowing his identity, but the beauty of the love that he had for his mother, which is an expression of his humility. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And what we see in the life of Jesus is that growth springs from humility. The humility to be in relationship with the teachers that day and ask them questions and exhibit curiosity. The willingness to be in relationship with his parents and open his hands to them and ask, acquiesce. To be in relationship with people, to be in relationship with God. Relationship and opening ourselves up to the people around us is the humility from which growth springs. And so we grow and we become stronger as the result of this humility that we see in the life of Jesus that we too can embody. So Jesus in the Gospels goes silent for like 15 years or so. And then he receives the Holy Spirit uh, in his baptism uh, with his cousin, John. Right? Cousin? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Then Jesus came from Galilee, book of Matthew. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. And this is the tension. We see John wrestling with this tension of strength and humility embodied in the life of Jesus. Jesus is coming humbly to his cousin John and saying, baptize me. I want to honor you. I want to enter into relationship with you. And John says, wait, 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 no, 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 you are the strong one, you are the Messiah, you are the king, I should be baptized by you, and Jesus says, no, we are in this together, baptize me. And we see John wrestling with the strength and humility of Jesus. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fill all right, fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Okay, I don't understand it, but whatever you say. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And again, we see the humility of Jesus to be in relationship with John, but also opening himself up for a constant and continual relationship with his Father in heaven. And later on, you know, we see those words, not my will, but yours. I want to step into what it is you've created me to be. I want to step into what you've called me to step into. And we see this humility of the dependence of Jesus on his cousin John and on his Father in heaven. And even in the relationship, 
that we see here where the Holy Spirit is descending on Jesus and the Father is declaring, I am well pleased in you, my son, in the nature of the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and them living in strength and who they are and in what they are, but at the same time acquiescing in relationship to one another. And in the Godhead, we see this relationship, this dance, this almost acquiescence one to the other. And then we see this last moment that we're going to look at tonight. So the glory of Jesus in heaven coming to earth as a baby, growing up and going into the temple as a boy, and then going to John and receiving the Holy Spirit. And from there he goes and he begins calling the disciples. And we're going to look at this passage in Luke chapter 5. So he went out and he, he was speaking, actually, and uh, he decided to get into a boat because there were so many people on the shore they couldn't hear him. So he went out on the boat and he was speaking from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, we'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. And in this action, we see both the strength and humility of Jesus. The strength of the confidence to say, I know you've been fishing all night long. Go back out into the deep water Cast your nets over and see what happens. There was a strength that was embodied in the faith of Jesus to instruct the disciples to go out and fish one more time. But there was also a humility embodied in the same action as the entire miracle was built around serving and feeding them. So we have the strength and the confidence and the faith to send those disciples back out pre-disciples, those fishermen, back out and to cast their nets one more time. But he also had the humility in that miraculous work to serve them. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And what do we see here? You know, John was wrestling with the strength and humility embodied in Jesus, John his cousin, when he said, no, 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 I can't baptize you because you are the king, you are the Messiah. But we see this internally here in Peter's life. Jesus has just done this miracle, and what does Peter do? He says, no, 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 go away from me. I am not worthy to be in your presence. You are something otherworldly, and I am not, so go away from me. What do we see in Peter's life in this moment? We see Peter not understanding the strength that exists within himself the opportunity to be in relationship with Jesus. Even with Jesus as king, his humility has invited Peter into the process, but Peter doesn't understand strength and humility in his own life. Instead, he sees himself as a lowly, worthless character. And he says, go away from me. I'm not worthy of you. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And even when Peter did not see his own strength, Jesus spoke it into his life. 
Jesus spoke over Peter. No, no, no. You're coming with me now. You are strong. And this is the identity that I'm declaring over you now. You are now a fisher of men. And you are coming on this journey with me as my disciple. And maybe the whole world, your whole life has told you that you are worthless. But here's what I see in you. And here's what I'm declaring over who you are today. You are a fisher of men. Come with me. And so we see Jesus affirming the strength of Peter. And in this act, again, we see strength and humility side by side in the life of Jesus. The strength to have big vision. The strength to have a dream of the transformation of the entirety of the world. And then the humility, again, to open up his hands and invite other people into the process alongside of him. Maybe tonight you have a dream. Maybe tonight you have a calling. Maybe tonight you have a vision for what God has created you to be and what he's asking you to step into. And I promise you, I promise you, because the world is designed this way, you will never accomplish that thing if you do not have the humility to open your hands and invite other people into it. God made it that way. The demonstration that we see in Jesus is that Jesus couldn't achieve the thing on his own because it wasn't designed that way. He had a big vision, but he had the humility to call and invite other people into it. And tonight, if the Lord has called you to something, if the Lord has gifted you with something, if he's given you a dream for something, I tell you, be humble enough to open your hands and invite the Lord and invite others into it because it takes strength to have big vision and it takes humility to let it be big by giving it away. If something is going to be bigger than the smallness of your human capacity, it will necessitate the investment of God and the investment of others to be bigger than you and to outlive you and to have an impact that is bigger than you. If we see it in the life of Jesus, there's no doubt that it's something that is true for us as well. So as we finish tonight, I want us to look at kind of these two ideas. And if you got your book, um, you can write about these, um, these two things. And I, I want you to write it down, actually. I want you to think about these two things, and I want you to write it down, because when we put it in words, it, it takes on a different level of reality. So the first is, what is an area in your life in which you're empowered for strength? What is something that God has gifted you for? What is something that you uh, have been called to? What is a dream or a vision that he's planted in your heart? How has he implanted strength inside of you? And don't play that game of like, oh, it's not about me, and it's not, you know, I, whatever. It's like all about God. Okay, yeah, like on a ph philosophical level, we can talk about that, but it is about you. God has strengthened you, and he has gifted you, and he has called you, and therefore it is about you. So how has he strengthened and empowered you tonight? What is the thing that he's calling you toward? And then second. Secondly, what is an area that you need to acquiesce in humility? Acquiesce to God, acquiesce to others. What do you need to be giving away so that you are not distracted by your weaknesses? Instead, in humility, you give things away so that you can be empowered in your strength. 
So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take some time for you to consider these two questions. Um, Lord, thanks for tonight. Thank you for the strength that you've placed inside of us. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who are humble enough to know our limitations and therefore step into the things that you have called us to step into. So you consider those two questions, and we'll sing in just a minute.